picture. What star is that? Decent Banjoko chilling in the building. If you know anything about me, anything about me, you know damn well all I really vibe on is martial arts and hip hop and chess. A little bit, a little bit of chess. Um, and so, you know, I came across this book. I talked about it before, right? Striking distance. You see the the coconut oiled hand prints on it because I'm just, you know, I'm on this book. And there was no way, as soon as I started reading it, it was, it was really well done. And I had to say, yo, like, please come on the show. So I have Charles Russo on the show. Thank you for hey, coming to Bishop Chronicles. Yeah, I'm honored um, to be on. Yo, you, you've done a fantastic uh, piece of work with Striking Distance. And, you know, I remember when the UFC started and I was like, yo, this is exactly what you know bruce would have thrived in like this yeah. kind of this kind of space and you know also because of hip-hop normally like you know like there's so many references you know not wu-tang clan alone right because they've got a, a, a deliberately more shaolin shaw brothers kind of essence to their thing but bruce permeates that as well right yeah, yeah. Uh, in my opinion in my opinion and so, and so um, there's so many other references to Bruce Lee and hip hop. I wanted to talk to you kind of about why you think Bruce is so iconic in so many different spaces to so many different people, right? But specifically to hip hop. So, you know, I want to thank you for being on the show, but tell me about your introduction to Bruce Lee and what was his impact on you before you decided to write this book? Yeah, I... I, I mean, it's interesting. I, I was never uh, a Bruce Lee fanatic in the way that Bruce Lee has fans that are fanatics with a capital F. Mm -hmm. um, but I always loved his movies. You know, I was, uh, you know, growing up in the 80s. I feel like I would always come across them, you know, on the cable dial and it would be somewhere in the middle of the movie felt like I never saw Enter the Dragon from the very beginning until, you know, I was in college. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, once I was on, once I got to that point, I, I never left. I sat, sat down and was all about it. And uh, really where this all jumped out at me was, um, I, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I, I was, I was sitting in a photojournalism class at SF State and uh, one of my classmates came in with photos from Chinatown. Mm -hmm. And he points to this photo and says, this building is the Chinese hospital on Jackson street. And it's where Bruce Lee was born. And just like, like yeah. it exploded in class. I was just like, wait a minute, Bruce Lee was born in San Francisco. And I, I have a degree in history. I love the Bay area. I love Bay area history. I think it's one of the most interesting places in the world. For sure. And when I heard that, it made it that much more interesting. Right. It You're made like, it that oh, much cooler. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was just mm -hmm. like, man, it just gets better and better. But then I thought about it a little and I was a little indignant that no one ever told me before. I was wondering how it wasn't part 
of the popular sort of like, you know, knowledge here in the the way that, yeah, I think about how we celebrate our cultures here, right? The beat poets, Allen Ginsberg mm-hmm. and Howell and Kerouac, mm-hmm. uh, the hate Ashbury scene. Hate Ashbury is like the, massive, the Black right. Panthers over in Oakland. Right. Uh, the, the iconic sports teams, uh, mm-hmm. the role that the Bay played in, in hip hop culture in right. the long view, right. right? All those things are known and celebrated. And then I'm like, wait a minute, Bruce Lee was born here and no one knows about it. So, you know, I'm sitting in a journalism class. I file it away in my brain as a story to work on. And uh, that's kind of where it all started. So I, my interest wasn't as, you know, just Bruce as like a martial arts actor, which I enjoyed. Right. But it was him more as like a, as a historical figure, particularly mm. as it pertained to the Bay. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a beautiful thing. And it's important because people do forget that he was born here. They forget, you know, that, that he was in Oakland for a long time. I think, I feel like, you know, it's just kind of the curse of becoming bigger than life. You know what I mean? Is that a lot of real basic facts kind of like slip past, yeah. you know, as the, as the mythology grows, like I feel it's the so same real. way about Tupac, right? Like sure, Tupac sure. is like a huge icon, but then there's all kinds of stuff that people just don't know. You know what yeah. I mean? And so such as his time in Oakland. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. Marin, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, Santa Rosa, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like people yeah. don't, they don't, they don't, you know, associate him with those cities, but you know, they were crucial in his, in his growth. Um, what did well, you learn about Bruce Lee that you didn't expect to learn when you, when you put this book together? Uh, uh, so much. I, I mean, I, I would go on for a very long time if I <laughs> ran through everything, but it, here's the thing, right when I, it, and it's interesting. So, we're, we're coming up on Bruce Lee's 80th birthday. And That's this started amazing. for me uh, uh, literally at his 70th birthday party in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. I was going to do a feature article for San Francisco Magazine about Bruce's time in the Bay, which mm-hmm. I really didn't know much about. I, mm-hmm. I knew there was something there, but I didn't think it was going to be a lot. Right. And I dropped in. I was introduced to some of his, his sort of old-time friends from mm-hmm. Oakland. And after following up and interviewing with those guys, I immediately realized that there was a lot there, mm-hmm. not only about a very forgotten and very important period of his life, uh, but also the fact that he was here because he was participating in a very significant, very trailblazing martial arts culture that had really gotten forgotten in the Bay in the same way that his time here had gotten forgotten. This was one of those cultures that we should be embracing and celebrating as our own and had fallen through the cracks of popular memory. Mm. So suddenly just a feature article seemed very constrained in terms of what a treasure trove of a forgotten history Mm -hmm. I had Mm -hmm. come upon. Uh, There were a lot of things that I didn't know but a few that immediately came to the surface was first and i feel like a lot of people still don't know this Mm -hmm. bruce's martial arts career is fascinating because bruce was a dissident okay he was a reformist in the field of martial arts he wanted to get rid of the mythology and the nonsense and that caused a lot of friction so as soon as i started interviewing just these these 
old timers from that scene in the, mm -hmm. in the mid sixties, early sixties, they immediately just start telling me about all these, these demos he's given that that's just pissing off the entire room is Bruce is getting up there and calling out other styles mm -hmm. and, and other approaches that people are teaching. And, and he's not mixing words about it. He's right. He's, he's really being clear. openly critical about what's being taught. And this immediately creates uh, tension locally, right. which will ultimately come to a head with the Wong Jack man fight in, in yeah. the fall of 64. Um, but I, I think it's something that it was in a central part of his martial arts worldview that, that has really gotten forgotten in the mix, as you right. were just saying yeah. over the years. Uh, so you know, it's real quick, if I could just say one no, of continue. the themes that came to the surface in the book uh, was the disparity between realism and mythology in the world of the martial arts, which is a long running theme, particularly in the field of the Chinese martial arts. For uh, sure. Bruce wasn't the first reformist to come along and try and do that. And that's something that I try and document in the book with other historical examples. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's deep. You know, there was a book, oh man, I'm, I feel really, really bad right now because I'm blanking on the dude's name and he, he wrote an amazing book, but um, he was someone that first wrote about other Chinese martial artists who, who had, you know, tried to bring more realism to the understanding of what worked and what didn't. And he documented yeah. a few people who, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll on an upcoming episode, I'll, I'll, I'll cite this person because I don't have the book with me right now. Yeah, yeah But, um, you know, it's really deep, man. And, and, it, and it's tough because, you know, I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. I did a little bit of a screamer before that. I was horrible at it. Um, I'm marginally good at jiu-jitsu, um, depending on who you ask. <laughs> so, so uh, but the, th the thing that really kind of, that I came to the conclusion of, you know, just even as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, because there are certain realities that I think in the sport of jiu-jitsu, people don't always think applies to the street. And then you see like a, a, a decorated jiu-jitsu guy who wears a gi all the time, get into the cage. He's a murderer with the gi on. He gets in the cage and he might get knocked out. He might, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and it was this idea that, oh, if he does jiu-jitsu, you're dead, bro. You know what I mean? And it's not really yeah. like that all the time because there are all these other factors, um, especially when jiu-jitsu guys will do sport jujitsu moves that they're used to not getting punched during, right? Like yeah, if we're sure. both not punching, sure. we're doing a pure grappling sure. form. You can do that move. But if I drop my elbow on your jaw, it makes it a little harder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, where do you find Bruce's understandings and innovations work the most? Do you have a sense of that? Like, you know, maybe in traditional Chinese martial arts is like, da, but then he kind of went this way and this actually worked better yeah, or so had, the, had a better ripple effect over time. Yeah. Well, what I would point to, first of all, is Bruce's uh, time in Hong Kong as a teenager, right? Where he studies with, with Ip Man. Mm -hmm. And in, in that era, 1950s Hong Kong, they had a really, uh, a really robust, very tenacious street fighting culture. I, I mean, okay. or rather the rooftops where the kids from different schools were, were almost like street gangs in the sense that they were affiliated with that school and that they would go and fight kids from other schools. Right. And Bruce uh, participated in those fights. You know, there's some debate as far as just how much, right. uh, but he definitely had a front row seat 
to watch a lot of fights up close. Jumping and, off, right. And, and this shapes his martial arts worldview because he pays close attention to what is real, what works, and what's just sort of flamboyant nonsense. And this is something that when he comes over to America, uh, again, I talk about those, uh, those demos he gives that, that were upsetting a lot of people. Uh, mm-hmm. He's bringing that worldview in where he's, he's not just trying to put on a fancy show and, and Bruce of all people could have, could have done that and just gotten a lot of students just by putting on a good show. He was genuinely invested in, in finding his way to something that, that was real and applicable. And this mm-hmm. becomes one of the, the big themes when he hooks up with guys over in Oakland. Right. Uh, when I interviewed Linda Lee, she, she hit me with a cool term, which I had never heard before. Uh, she said, Bruce liked to refer to his approach as scientific street fighting, mm. right? Which, which is just, you know, kind of gets into the nuance of just how he was looking at it all. Right. Um, right. It, it's hard a little bit to, to totally give insight in terms of uh, application in the sense of how he evolves. Mm-hmm. The, the period that I'm looking at in the book is is definitely like a much earlier period where he's sort of finding his way to Jeet Kune Do mm-hmm. in terms of the uh, connections he's making with other martial artists mm-hmm. uh, here in the Bay and in other places. And then just, you know, his own trajectory in terms of that development and that evolution. Uh, but but I think in terms of, of what applies well mm-hmm. is – I don't know if you've ever seen it, but a few years ago, there was a video that surfaced of his demo in 67 in Long Beach, where he had an open sparring session with two different colleagues Mm -hmm. or students. And I I mean, just his counter striking ability. Right. I mean, you see it is unbelievable. It's ridiculous. It's it's stunning. And, you know, I know people look at it through – current standards in terms of everything Mm -hmm. he was doing but in terms of what he was applying 50 years ago and how rigid the approach was in the sense of everyone was in their set schools and you really didn't stray from that Mm -hmm. i i you understand why why people cite him as one of the philosophical godfathers of mma it's it's there on it's there on camera yeah man that's crazy it's really crazy. Now, I wanted to ask you about the role of dance in how he fought. <laughs> I, I have a presentation, a college presentation that I give nice. about him and Miyamoto Musashi and the oh. role that dance played in both of their lives. Now, oh. a lot of people don't know that Miyamoto Musashi, who's the author of the Book of Five Rings, yep. uh, a ronin self-taught swordsman, was actually a well-versed dancer. He was a no dancer, N-O-H. Yep. It's like a theatrical dance. And he actually right, taught, yeah. he taught one of his adopted sons how to be a no dancer. And he writes a letter to someone that runs a castle. And he's like, look, my son is not necessarily like swordsman. He's not like me, but he is a great dancer, right? Yeah. He's a great dancer. And so then I go back into the Book of Five Rings and I'm like, yo, if you look at fire, water, air, earth, and the void, right? Those are all that, like how he broke his chapters down. 
they all kind of have a rhythm, right? Oh, and wow. I start looking for the threads of rhythm in each one. And, and, and the book gets a lot deeper for me when I realize how much he was connected to dance. Now, it hasn't been understood or explained by historians how he became a no dancer. As, you know what I mean? Like no one ever says, oh, well, he spent some time at blah, blah, blah. But he was apparently good yeah. enough at it to teach other people well enough to yeah. get accepted at castles, right? And I see this thread of rhythm. Can you talk about the thread of rhythm in Bruce's life, him being a cha-cha dancer? And was there anything that you were able to glean from that? And if in any way, and if it doesn't apply, it doesn't apply. But do you feel as though there's any aspect of being a dancer and things like that that, that helped shape his, his uh, approach to fighting? I absolutely so, uh, as maybe your listeners know, uh, Bruce Lee was a, a national dance champion. Uh, he was the Hong Kong cha-cha champion of 1958. Mm -hmm. And when he first came over to San Francisco, uh, after not lasting very long as, as a busboy in Chinatown, he, he would teach, uh, he would give dance lessons around mm -hmm. the Bay Area. So it was very much part of, you know, uh, uh, one of his skills, uh, one of my favorite quotes that I got from someone was James Lee's son who lived with Bruce and said, not a lot of people know this, but Bruce Lee could dance like Michael Jackson. Um, I think that when you look at Bruce, there's sort of this, and he was such a, uh, such a like tireless researcher, not of just martial arts, but just like of, of, human form and movement yeah. that I, I think that it's sort of where he found uh, nuance in the techniques. And mm. when you hear him talk uh, some of those early demos or, or even a good one is uh, uh, his screen test, his Hollywood screen test right. in early 65, uh, just application of, of, of soft principles versus hard, which at the time, you know, most Americans were very karate, uh, karate, people didn't even know what Kung Fu was at the time, really. And, and karate was seen as this very hard striking mm -hmm. art. And, and Bruce Lee was constantly pushing the softer side of things in terms of where Kung Fu differentiated right. uh, the notion of pliancy. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it was something that you would see, uh, in his trapping abilities, which, mm -hmm. which were mm -hmm. off the charts. Mm -hmm. Because when you hear from some of those guys up in Seattle that he was teaching, who were real rough and tumble, blue collar street fighter types, they were just like, we couldn't even touch this guy. You know, right. some, some of those guys were almost 100 pounds more than Bruce, and he would just tie them up yeah. and, and embarrass them. Yeah. You know, so I, I think – Along those lines of, of the nuance of, I, I would call it like the nuance of pliancy. I, I don't know if that's something that maybe resonates right. with. No, it does. Uh, it does. Like a, a jujitsu maybe approach yeah, yeah, to something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. But that's, pliancy is a root, root element of jujitsu. Yeah. It really is. You know, uh, but I, is I, the key. I, I think one of the interesting things, though, is, you know, Bruce comes out of Hong Kong and his martial art. Uh, is is real minimalist, whereas you know his dance style is more flamboyant. And I've had people right. ask me about this before, but Bruce, I think, was was a realist in terms of what worked in what situation. So if right. for dancing, it's it's a more flamboyant oriented thing, uh, but when it comes to fighting, it was all streamlined. 
then, you know, he was going to go with what, what worked in either situation. Yeah. It actually, now that you, now that you say it out loud like that, it, I, I can actually make sense out of how his sense of rhythm informed him about timing and technique. Right. And that was going to apply in totally different ways in a real street fight as it would to making a movie. Right. Oh, right? oh like, yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Now, we get to the center of the shrubbery maze. Yeah. <laughs> um, two questions. One is the role of race in training, uh, specifically as it relates to Bruce Lee. I've always been told and taught that one of the main reasons that there were problems between him and the Chinatown you know, OGs who, 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 who taught people was that he was open to teaching what I think the word was called Guai Lo, which just basically means like a non-Chinese person, yeah. right? Yeah. That you shouldn't be teaching the whites and you shouldn't be teaching the blacks because they're going to bring it to us and give us problems. You know what I'm saying? And we got to keep our stuff in house in case it pops off, which is a respectable philosophy, especially understanding how racially siloed America is and has always been. And it was worse back then than it yeah, is absolutely. now. Absolutely. Right. I had somebody who I trust tell me that that was not the case, right? And they were super serious. They were like, that was not the case. You know, Chinatown OGs had love, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. I just listened out of respect. So then later, I started looking. I was looking for photos of some of the old Chinatown OGs and their classes, yeah. okay? Now... I can't say any names because I don't know any. I'm just telling you, this was a while ago that I did the looking, okay? What I saw was if anyone else got taught, it was going to be a white guy. I didn't see one black student in any Chinatown photo from, from that time. I didn't see one, okay? But now this guy's saying, oh, that wasn't really it. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, mm, I think I'm calling shenanigans on that yeah. because – if what you say is true, then I should see, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh, young Thurgood and Leroy and the rest of them dudes in the shots, and I'm not seeing them in the shots. Yeah. What is your understanding of the reality of that racial tension, specifically as it relates to Bruce Lee teaching people that were not Chinese? Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot that could be said here. Uh, first of all, I think Brett saying that to you uh, – in the long run was he's correct right, right? but there's there's nuance to it and and it, it's there's a lot of nuance to it so that so was just, somebody other than brett oh shout really out to brett sorry, sweet, by sorry. the way yeah. shout out to brett sweet yeah. by the way <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah brett but was it was great. not brett this was yeah. this was this was this, okay. this was this okay. was another scholar okay. who for the record is chinese okay and uh, i was right. i was kind of blown away by the idea you know what i'm yeah. saying but yeah. then Brett did say it when he was on, 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 on the Bishop Chronicles. Yeah. Um, so, 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 I, I, so, yeah. Let, let me wade through it real quick for it. Well, it might take a sec, but bear with me. Um, first off, the, I always refer to it as, as like the non-Chinese code. And the idea is that this was something that came out of the tongs. And what are tongs was, for those that don't know? Sure. So the tongs are essentially, uh, they're like fraternal societies, okay, that, that often are, are formed around uh, clan uh, or family. So mm -hmm. 
if you if you were a Lee coming to San Francisco a uh, hundred years ago, you could you could go to a certain tongue and they would they would find you a place to to live. Uh, they would find you a job. If you died in San Francisco, they would ship your body back to be buried in in mm. China. Okay, now the tongs over time uh, would have a sort of ebb and flow with uh, some criminal elements. Okay, so tongs are 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 soft word for Chinese Freemason gangs. <laughs> I, it's like, uh, <laughs> right, like it's well, not it's not, and I don't want to. If I disappear, you know what happened. But what I'm saying is that it. When I, when I, you know, I worked well, in Chinatown for a brief a moment. Fraternal society, you know? Yeah. So yeah. we're, yeah, we're on the same page yeah. with that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, there I don't want to disappear is all I'm there's, saying. Yeah. Um, but, but here's the thing is that the Tongs, which is where before there were more formal schools, it, it's where, uh, where the martial arts would be taught. And this is something right. I try and chronicle in the book in terms mm -hmm. of the earliest schools and who the people were. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times when you hear about Bruce Lee, particularly when it comes to the Wong Jack Man fight, a lot of people are like, oh, they didn't want him. So when someone says that to you, say, okay, who? Who is they? And they'll say the old Chinatown guard. And then you should say, okay, who specifically? Because we know who they are. Right. Okay. We know to a person who they are now. We know what their careers were. We know which tongs they were associated with. We know what their worldview was. Mm -hmm. Okay. In terms of the martial arts, the tong code of not teaching uh, people outside of just Chinese people was absolutely real. And it was something that had to do with just the racism and tension that existed uh, in the new world in, mm -hmm. in America, which mm -hmm. had a lot to do with the Chinese exclusion act which ultimately is passed uh, in 1902, and which basically uh, categorizes Chinese Americans as second-class citizens, right. if even that. Right. Okay. Um, so Somewhere near three-fifths of a man. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's the yeah. same and vibe. This, it's a very it, yeah, similar vibe. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Definitely. And basically the way it was seen, and I talked to a lot of old-timers on this, okay, mm -hmm. who've lived this and experienced it, uh, the martial arts were seen as sort of a weapon in their arsenal. These, this was their skills that they brought from their homeland. Uh, I, I even had certain people say, look, like a lot of, a lot of Chinese people are a lot smaller than these big, you know, people who would come in and white town. dudes and black dudes walking around. Yeah. 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 You would have, you would have sailors on shore leave coming into Chinatown to party it up. Talking and crazy. Like, you know, what do, what do we have against this? We have our martial arts. So if you're going to give that away, Mm. You're sort of giving away our ability to defend ourselves, okay, themselves. So, right. so it's much more about self-preservation as opposed to like a, a bigotry. I may be giving the idea an out, but I feel like there's also just a sprinkling of bigotry. Just a I, Oh, there absolutely is. There, there absolutely is. I, I don't think we should be naive about it. I, I mean, yeah. that's there as well. And the reality is by the time you get to the early 1960s, when when Bruce Lee comes to town and the period that I, I mm -hmm. feature in the book, that code was in decline. And it makes sense that it was in decline because at the same time, uh, America is sort of coming around on its it, its own laws and treatment of, mm -hmm. for instance, the Chinese Americans. So right. it, it's to me, it's not a coincidence 
right? That at the same time that you have the Civil Rights Act passed, that you have housing uh, acts passed that right. enable Chinese Americans to now buy homes outside of Chinatown, right. that you now have new immigration laws that allow Chinese, right? So America's taking its exclusionary code off at the same time, the Chinese martial arts are like, okay, we're going to take ours off mm-hmm. and, and sort of get in on the economy of what they have right. to offer. And that's, that's deep. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be naive about that. At the end of the day, look, there was money to be made. You guys want to learn? You guys want to yeah. learn Chinese martial arts? As I have a school. And do we really want to cut off this whole segment of money that can be made? But right. what I would, I would point out, and, and I say this in the book, is in 1965, uh, early 65, on the cover of Black Belt Magazine, is Ark Wong, who was a kung fu teacher down in L.A. He mm. is Hop Singh, mm-hmm. old school Chinatown. Uh, and he says in that interview, in early 65, in a publication, mm-hmm. an English language publication, I am open to students of any and all types. Okay, so I compare that as the closest thing you have to an official, you know, uh, rescinding of Of that tradition. Okay, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I would point out that um, he took on, I want to say his name was Jim Anastasi, uh, Mm -hmm. who was an African American, and he was a student of Ark Wong, I think starting in 59. Okay, so this is about five years before even the Wong Jack Man fight. Right. Up up in Chinatown, um, and and I document all these in the books, there's numerous examples in the early 60s of of that code wearing down. Uh, Al Novak, who's, you know, a big, burly, white, uh, uh, you know, uh, veteran and friend of James Mm -hmm. Lee, he's Mm -hmm. he's training in Chinatown around 62. Wow. With, with one of the old Tong guys, T.Y. Wong, uh, mm-hmm. Wong Timian, who, uh, you know, I, I give different examples about how, how T.Y. was, even though he was a Tong member, uh, he was doing things that were contrary to that code. So okay. I know that's a really long-winded answer. No, no, no. But I but think it's important, it's, though. Like, we need to get clarity on that. That's yeah. the nuance of it. Yeah. yeah. So. And, and, and again, and, and this is kind of why I bring up the Jackie Robinson example it wasn't like there's a league the league suddenly says here's a date where we're allowing this race to come in you know one school might have been like no we're going a lot longer we're keeping it all chinese (laughs) while another school and and there were there were tensions it's not a tidy transition okay i i there's a point in the book where i talk about one of the old tai chi masters who in chinatown uh Gets, starts getting this is like late 60s early 70s he has a big following of san francisco hippies who come to the ymca to learn tai chi mm-hmm. he's getting threatening calls at night in like, china stop doing it bro stop. yeah but the reality <laughs> is i you know to me that's that's less about the racism and it, to me that's more just like an extortion than yeah anything. That's, totally that's just really yeah they like, just trying know, to punk him yeah violating yeah. something yeah now so do you is it your understanding that this issue around teaching blacks and whites was at the center of some of the problems that bruce was finding with with the ogs oh, yeah thanks for bringing that so here i forgot to point this out so yeah. when bruce lee 
uh, goes up to school in Seattle and opens uh, or starts to teach. At first, right. it's informal. Then he has a school. Uh, I would argue that that those classes were the most racially diverse classes ever to be seen in the Chinese martial arts up to that point in history. Mm. And Bruce deserves to be acknowledged for that in the sense that absolutely Bruce as, as a member of the younger generation just doesn't even blink at taking all these guys as a student. His first student is an right. African-American. Just right, lover. right, right. And then when you go through the ranks of, of that core group, they used to joke around and refer to themselves as the United Nations because like every person had a different heritage. That's beautiful. So it, Bruce deserves to be acknowledged for mm -hmm. uh, embracing diversity from the get-go without hesitation, without, uh, you know, what he was taught back in Hong Kong where there, mm -hmm. there was tension. There was tension right. about him being mixed race. Right, right. People, people, people takes on now that. when you yeah. say that Bruce Lee is mixed race, will you explain to the layman what you mean? Because a lot of people oh. still don't know. Yeah, well, this was, this was something I felt like I, uh, uh, um, I, I sort of broke a little bit of information in the book here. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll find this interesting because you're down in San Bruno. So there are national archives in San Bruno, mm -hmm. and they have Bruce Lee's family records there. So Down, I, went, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, we could go look at them one day. So you can get his family immigration records from when he was born in San Francisco's Chinatown and go through the papers of, of, of what's there. Mm -hmm. And one mm -hmm. of the things that's there is an, inter, uh, an interview with his mom. And they ask her about her racial heritage. And she says that her father was Chinese and her mother was English. Okay. Wow. Now, for a long time, it was thought that Bruce was a quarter German. This had bounced around for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I, I went into the family archives. Uh, I tracked down someone on his mom's side of the family who handles the uh, family tree. Mm -hmm. and, and he said, no, that's a myth. Is it, it's, it's a gray area, but English is, is a sound approach. So mm -hmm. And, and this is really interesting. I have an article I wrote for Vice. I could send it over to you. Um, Bruce's family history on his mother's side is, is like mind-blowing. His, his mom comes from this really uh, multicultural family that were power players in Hong Kong history. Mm. There is a picture of his uncle advising the Queen of England during World War II. That is I mean, bonkers. These guys are not only, yeah, they are major players. Uh, they were major uh, funders of Sun Yat-sen's revolution um, in China to overthrow the last emperor. Uh, it, there's serious history on that side. It's super interesting. And then his mom is like the anomaly of the family tree where uh, his, bear with me, maternal grandma, maternal grandfather had like a wife and 13 concubines and his mom was like the adopted daughter at the end of all those children. So it's this crazy heritage. That is bonkers. Um, yeah. But it's this gray area where, right. you know, I, I try and, you know, get through it all, which is not easy, but he comes from a highly uh, multiracial family in Hong Kong, a very well-known family. So that's, 
Bruce grows up with that. Okay. Right. It's, it's part of his it's family. It's forming upbringing. his philosophy as a human being. Yeah. So for instance, when, when he is about to marry Linda Lee, Linda Lee's family is not happy about their daughter marrying a Chinese guy. Bruce's family is kind of like, eh, like, like whatever. We'd okay. rather, you marry, yeah, yeah, we'd rather yeah, yeah. you marry a Chinese girl, but we're, we're not upset. We're not going to sweat it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, who was Wong Jack Man? Who is this guy that has this uh, legendary fight yeah. with Bruce Lee? And where did he come from? Where did he come from? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's, that's tough with, with Wong Jack Man is that the Bruce Lee fight, his fight with Bruce Lee so overshadows his entire biography that uh, it, it's a disservice to him. Mm. Uh, he deserves better than that. And it's like this catch 22 because there's no way of discussing his martial arts career without eventually just getting to this story. Right. Like we're about to do it. Right. And, and, I, man, I, I feel for the guy because it, he had a very notable martial arts career and it got eventually got pigeonholed by something it, that transpired when he was 23 and then it overshadowed Damn. the rest of his life. Uh, Wong Jack Man uh, was, and, and this is interesting because what starts to shape up is this remarkable symmetry to Bruce. Mm. Okay, and and not to use an obvious metaphor, but there's a yin yang mm -hmm. uh, going on. Symmetry going on. Uh, Wang Jack Man is of a very notable lineage of Northern Shaolin. Um, I, I can't really produce the the pronounce the Mandarin pronunciation. No, that's fine. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we'll all forgive you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Yu Chung would be mm -hmm. the uh, Cantonese, and uh, very notable figure in. Chinese martial arts history uh, was was known, I believe, as one of the five tigers of Shaolin who brought uh, the northern arts to southern China. Okay, so by the time uh, Wang Jackman is very much the prodigy of that lineage. Mm, okay, he's the and, embodiment. He's like the Hoist Gracie or something of the. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he comes to. San Francisco's Chinatown, uh, I believe in 63. Again, mm -hmm. his biography is, is tough to navigate. Right. Uh, and, and he's seen as the young representative of, uh, of that school. So the Jingmo Association. Mm -hmm. And he's given permission to teach in America. Wow. Okay. That's a big deal. People who are not in the martial arts world, like you got to understand that it's one Especially, thing to achieve yeah. a rank in any yeah. given martial arts, but to be able to teach is, is a separate thing. And, yeah. and just to show you how, how authentic that is. Um, when I was awarded my blue belt by Charles Gracie, you get this, you know, uh, certificate. You see what I'm saying? It says, you know, Adisa has reached the rank of blue belt and there's an asterisk and it says, does not apply to teaching. Yeah, wow. You know, wow. You know what I'm saying? It not did not example. apply yeah. to teaching, right? Yeah. And so that's just not something that comes out of the Chinese martial arts. That's, I think, a theme inside the martial arts that to be able to teach is, is a totally different thing. And even in, I think, jujitsu 
on the black belt, there's like a red bar, but then there's like another bar. I was told like, if, if you're allowed to teach as a brown belt or something, right, you have a different bar on your belt than a brown belt who can't teach. I got to look oh. into it, but, but it's a thing. It, you know what I mean? I'm just saying like, oh, that's, absolutely. That's a, that's, yeah. a, that's a very serious element of the things. Like it's not just drama, it's serious because they got to know that you can convey it, not just that you can do it. Well, and that's something that factors in with Bruce in that I, I don't think he had that formal permission to teach uh, in America. Anything. Right. And in right. fact, when uh, in 63, he goes home to visit his family and, and meets up one of his uh, students from Seattle, comes to visit him in Hong Kong. And uh, he tells that student, uh, hey, don't, don't let on to Ibman that I'm teaching you. Okay. Yeah. It's, and, and that again comes into that code. That's a very real thing. So I, all of that is, is, is palpable and it's, it's there. Uh, when, when Wong Jack man arrives to San Francisco's Chinatown, uh, he's immediately uh, noticed for his abilities. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the first to arrive uh, with the Northern arts, you know, San Francisco's Chinatown, uh, based on historical uh, immigration patterns and, and mm -hmm. who populated the, who came from China for the gold rush was really all from the South. So it's all Southern styles in Chinatown. Wong Jack Man is the first person uh, to show up with a Northern style. Interesting. Yeah. That is now, deep. There's, now how does he end up getting into beef like, of all the people <laughs> well, that could have been should have, right? Yeah. That's how, the million how dollar did question. he, you know, like yeah. um, break that down from your yeah. understanding? Yeah. So first off, I would say that I, I don't think there's an absolute right answer to that, but I'll map out the ones that are there. And because and, different people have different takes on this, you know, one of the things that's interesting is I, I really conducted, I conducted over a hundred interviews for this mm -hmm. and I just chased down whoever I could that was part of that culture at the time and was close mm -hmm. to it. Not mm -hmm. after the fact, which is a little different, right? right. They had heard this from so-and-so. Right, people, right. people that were in the room, people, you know, that, right. that were in close proximity, everyone, every one of those people has an opinion about that fight. Okay. The difference though is, and again, this goes back to what I was saying about like they, and you know, whatever right. is, okay. Who was in the room, right. To a person, like let's identify them. Right. And what's their account and what did they see? Right. Uh, but that's the fight itself with regards to the tension. Uh, that, is a little bit of a longer story. If we could back up a little bit when Bruce right. first arrives to San Francisco in 59, the spring of 59, um, he immediately uh, gets off on the wrong foot with Chinatown martial artists. Uh, there's immediate tension between them. And I, I document one of them in the book where uh, he goes down into the school, Lao Bun school, who is really sort of the patriarch of the, martial arts scene in San Francisco's Chinatown. Lao Bun is an old Hop Sing Tong enforcer mm, who mm. later in his life settles into formally teaching. Okay. Uh, his, his school was right off of uh, uh, Portsmouth Square. And, and Bruce goes down and just starts talking shit and, and Lao Bun throws him out. 
and immediately gets off. There's immediate tension between uh, what they saw as uh, a Hong Kong Wing Chun kid who's the Wing Chun uh, school in Hong Kong. Ip Man school was known as a particularly uh, tenacious one. Right. And, you know, in terms of just the attitudes, which is, is interesting because even if you check out some of those old guys that are still around, they have that edge to they them. They still got it. Which cracks <laughs> me up, you know. Um, so immediately there's tension. And uh, I couldn't nail it down, but I also believe that the, the other teacher, uh, T.Y. Wong, who I mentioned earlier, who is also mm-hmm. Hapsing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe in 59, as early as 59, he had an issue with Bruce as well. Uh, he, he's also responsible for my favorite quote in the entire book, which is he deemed Bruce Lee to be a dissident with bad manners. Okay, which I think, you know, really cuts to a lot of, of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Bruce eventually goes up to Seattle. He's teaching up in Seattle. And then he's making trips back to the Bay. Uh, part of the time he's doing it to teach dance lessons with one of the big dance studios here. Not okay. a lot of people know that. And uh, he starts hooking up with the guys out in the East Bay, uh, James Lee in particular, and mm-hmm. the guys in James Lee's orbit. James Lee mm-hmm. is old school Oakland, went to Oakland Tech, had a reputation as, as just being a savage street fighter in his day, mm-hmm. uh, was into gymnastics, uh, broke weightlifting records at the local ymca this is who Gifted. bruce yeah bruce hooks up with him even though james is, is twice his age you know in his mm. 40s bruce is this young guy they're just on the wavelength right they are they are envisioning the same sort of martial arts future which is in direct contrast to what's going on in chinatown a more traditional right. approach so bruce starts making these trips and essentially they start collaborating i mean james lee's already doing a lot of the things that bruce wants to do uh publish martial arts books mm. uh, develop I, I james lee would build his own training equipment in his garage wow yeah and and he would also run a very modern martial arts school out of his garage so bruce is like i, I found my wavelength and also, James starts introducing him to all these other really notable practitioners who have a more, you know, maybe forward-thinking mindset. Uh, Wally J would be a good example. Definitely, you know, a streak of innovation. Mm-hmm. The issue is that James Lee, just like Bruce had tension in Chinatown, uh, James Lee had a big falling out with Chinatown as well. Uh, he had published a book with T.Y. Wong. The two of them had a falling out. And before long there's this tension across the bay. Right. Uh, one of the things that I point out and not a lot of people realize it is their packaging essentially disses in their books towards one another, putting mm. down each other's styles and what they're up to. And as time goes on, as Bruce starts coming back to the bay more and more, these tensions just keep going. Okay. In 64, Bruce is ready to drop out of school, drop out of a very good situation that he's built for himself up in Seattle Mm -hmm. and come live with James Lee to, I I mean, basically uh, pursue a martial arts startup Mm -hmm. out of James Mm -hmm. Lee's garage. Mm -hmm. What they were going to do is a modern approach to the martial arts, a modern training environment. 
And in 64, as Bruce is doing that, he really starts to ratchet up the language uh, in, these, in these demos. To differentiate okay. himself. Yeah, and, and, I, and again, this, this wasn't something I could exactly nail down, but I, I think it had a lot to do with Muhammad Ali. Uh, yeah, I was about to ask you about Muhammad Ali. Winning over Sonny Liston in, in mm -hmm. early 64, and, and mm -hmm. even those, you know, these press conferences, which were just an uncompromising, like, right. this is who I am. I'm the greatest, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, He's a bomb, you, you know, be. knocking yeah. out all bombs, you know. <laughs> yeah, and Bruce sees him thriving. Bruce is mm -hmm. a huge fan of, of him as a fighter. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the thing that, that causes Bruce to shift into a higher gear with the rhetoric. Uh, the problem is there was already tension, and, and now Bruce is, is, just, is just cranking it up. Right. So – we see this manifesting in a few different places. You know, in the book, I talk about the luau where he gets up there mm -hmm. and he starts trashing certain approaches, more traditional approaches. And then in the summer of 64, Bruce goes down to Long Beach, the first big uh, international martial arts gathering. And, you know, what we've always been told in biographies and documentaries was that Bruce gets up and he's so charismatic and dynamic that everyone falls in love with him. And then I start talking to people who were there and they're like, man, Bruce Lee just got up and started trashing people. And in fact, uh, one of the old karate teachers, uh, Clarence Lee told me that after his demo at Long Beach, there was a line of people waiting to fight Bruce Lee. Right. So the tension, it, it's going to happen. Right. right. Someone is, 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 it's not just going to be people talking shit back at what, you know, Bruce had said sooner or later, someone's going to challenge him. Right. It's got to happen. It's inevitable. Building. Yeah. And what I always point to not to get too long winded on you here, but he had that happen in Seattle. He was giving demonstrations. Someone took issue with it and there was a challenge. Uh, right. Bruce, Bruce was trying to stay out of trouble because he had left Hong right. Kong for getting in trouble. And then finally he was like, all right, uh, like I've had it with this guy. We'll do Let's it. do it. And he, he obliterated that dude. Yeah. 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 He that dude got yeah. mopped by all yeah. accounts. <laughs> yeah. He, that fight in Seattle, he obliterated that guy. And here's the thing that I would point out uh, for a long time, that was just seen as some guy who ran his mouth and didn't know what he was getting into. But mm. if you hear uh, Jesse Glover's account and I, I Jesse Glover, I, I will Jesse take Glover's his like... assessment on anything. Jesse Glover was like, no, this guy had a real reputation for fighting. He could attach power to his punch and his kicks, his punches and his kicks. Mm -hmm. uh, he had just gotten into a fight where he disarmed the guy with a knife and took the dude out. So he this wasn't a punk. He wasn't new chunk. to this. Yeah, right. this wasn't some chunk that challenged Bruce in Seattle. And, and Bruce just annihilates this guy. Yeah. Okay. So Bruce comes back from Long Beach in the summer of 64, and he gives a demo with all these tensions running in the heart of Chinatown. Okay. Uh, packed house at the Sun Sink Theater. Uh, incidentally, it was the same theater where when Bruce was born, uh, Bruce's father had performed as, so as a member of the Chinese opera. I, yeah. Insane. Uh, which is really the reason why Bruce was born in San Francisco, because the people at the Sun Sing brought Bruce's father right. over to perform. There was no immigration at the time. That's, that was the whole angle on it. Uh, and Bruce is there for an event with a uh, Hong Kong movie star and uh, dances the cha-cha. And then as Bruce would typically do at even the dances, uh, he gives a demonstration. 
and the demonstration goes wildly off the rails uh, to the point where like almost a full riot fight breaks out on stage. And Bruce steps back and basically puts out a challenge that, well, he words it in a way that it's a gray area. And I think Bruce having some, this is really interesting, actually. I think Bruce coming from a background in show business, he knew mm -hmm. a way to word it so that he had a little bit of an out if anyone- Wiggle room if it got really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he basically said, if any of my Chinatown brothers want to come check out my Wing Chun, my school's right over in Oakland, right? So this goes out through Chinatown as just like, look, you know, and, and during, the, takers. Right. during the demo, it was believed that Bruce sort of dissed the old school guys, uh, T.Y. Wong mm. and Lao Bun, by saying these old, tiger, uh, these old tigers have no teeth, okay? And this is where it all starts to go off the rails. So the idea is out there that Bruce, Bruce put out the invite. You guys have a problem with me. Come on over to Oakland. And the question is, who's going to step up and be the person? Right. And, and that's where, that's where it gets really interesting. Starts getting muddy and starts it's, getting intense. Well, the, the million dollar question, why Wong Jackman, right? Yeah. There were all these other people from other schools who had tension with Bruce. And yet it's this guy who had never even met him before, who wasn't at the Sun Sing theater, who winds up <laughs> stepping forward. Right. And, and this is just the big question. So there's different theories on this. Okay. Mm -hmm. One is that Wong Jackman did it out of sort of a, almost like a, a macho uh, uh, self-promotional effort. I'll, I'll be the guy that shuts Bruce Lee up and then my school- And then my school will be lit opening. and everybody will be on. It'll yeah. be the one to go to. Northern Shaolin is in the building. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And then there's another point of view, which is like, now nah, he was the new kid who got goaded into a fight and didn't understand the stakes. Mm. Is that basically he was, hey, man, like, you know, it's just, it's just a friendly match. You'll go over, show him what's up, and, and, and it's all good. And then he shows up, and, and it's, it's hot and, and mean. And right? intense. Right. Yeah. So now the prevailing notion that's, that's been out for years mm. was that, you know, we've seen this just rendered in ridiculous fashion in, in movies over the years is that the old guard took issue with Bruce teaching non-Chinese and sent Wong Jack Man over as an enforcer. Right, to shut that down that with and let fits. him know. Remember, Northern and, Shaolin's in the building, stop teaching him. And, and I just, look, I, I, the evidence, it, it's just a false narrative. I'm sorry. Um, I, there's ample evidence that, you know, that old code was, not only was that winding down, but that the old school guys, again, if someone was going to send Wong Jack Man over, who would it have been? Well, it would have been those old guys who ran the martial arts culture of San Francisco's Chinatown. Right. It would have been Lao Bun. It would have been T.Y. Wong. Right. And there's evidence where they're like, no, that's not how we operate. You don't go over to someone's school and go into and their set school. It off. And you don't, it, it was seen as really bad form. And it was seen as outside the bounds of how Chinatown operated. They did not want it to be Hong Kong where it's the martial arts wild west and everyone's mm -hmm. challenging mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's not good for business in Chinatown. Right. Right. For sure. So 
those are the ideas. And I, I mean, in terms of, you know, why Wong Jackman is the guy, it's, it, it's still debatable, but, but right. those are, those are the threads. I think, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I still don't know. I, I, I could speculate it's such on a it, deep but, thing, man. It's such yeah, a deep thing, you yeah. know, because, you know, again, Brett Sweet had told me that, you know, that that Wong Jack man had this great history, you know, uh, before, you know what I'm saying? Like how you had talked about, like he had this really illustrious history and that he was kind of uh, uh, hamstrung by this one moment in yeah, this great yeah. history, you know? Yeah. Well, now, what I, I do, real quick, what ahead. I would point out on that is uh, so if we just look at the long view of it, Wong Jack Man did teach in the in the Bay for about 40 years. I think he retired in 2005. And uh, yeah, he, he taught a lot of uh, different ethnicities over time. Yeah. Now, was he doing that in the mid 60s? Right. Uh, probably not, but not because he was turning people away. You it know, just would have been it, the time. It's, it's not easy to roll into one of those, you know, uh, one of those basement martial arts studios in Chinatown and just say, Hey, I want to show up. Right. You know? Right. So, yeah. Right. Now, hold on. Where's the, there's a, there's a, a part of your book where you're explaining the fight. Okay. I have a very unique question. Mm -hmm. And this is a question that I've always wondered it has nothing to do with you. You talk about the fight. I'm going to read this section and then I'm going to tell you about something else that was my understanding. And I just want to get your understanding yeah, yeah. from both. Okay. So Wong sidestepped again as he deflected with his arms. Then, and then backpedaling away from Bruce, he stumbled over one of the small riser steps that came up from the studio floor. Bruce was over him now, relentless with his punches, shouting in Cantonese, do you yield? Do you yield? Having lost his feet, Wong had little choice, okay? From there, Chin explains, he said he gives up and we stopped the fight. The whole thing lasted not more than seven minutes. Okay, this is my question. This is my question. I saw footage from an old VHS tape that I had, I think it was of Return of the Dragon, okay? And there was like a small documentary on the tail end of this VHS tape. And in that clip, there is a reference to the Wong Jackman fight and there is is footage of Linda Lee describing what she recalled from that fight. Mm -hmm. I can't find that tape right now. Yeah, no worries. But what I recall is that she specifically noted that Bruce had Wong Jackman in some type of submission hold that where he gave up. In in this book Again, it still ends up on the ground in some way, right? Yeah. And 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 Bruce is is telling him, "Do you like?" No one questions that he asked him. Like, basically, we done, bro? And he said, "We're done." And that was that. What yeah. I've been unclear on is, was it because from your book, it sounds like it's more like strikes. From Linda's account, it sounds a little bit more like there was an actual submission hold. And I, you know, just, I don't. I don't, do you, I don't think there was a submission hold. No. Okay. That's yeah. fine. I, well, but wait, and the reason why is because I interviewed Linda Lee and we talked about this and mm. uh, I, I don't know the account that you heard. So I, you know, I, I can't say, but I'll try to find uh, it somewhere. Uh, I think I got it. And, and here's what I would point out. The, the quote that you read is from David Chin, one of the people who came over to mm, Oakland with, with Wong Jack. They drove over together. Okay. Right. 
that matched up exactly to what Linda Lee told me. That okay. matches up exactly to the other accounts I went and tracked down for the people who were in the room. When it went okay. down. The people right. who we know are in the room. Where it gets uh, ridiculous and you start to hear all these outlandish <laughs> things <laughs> is, is the people who are just like suddenly inserting themselves that they were there. And, and it's just... I, I don't think I came up and said, Bruce, chill out, bro. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> think it's a coincidence, you know, <laughs> that those stories are coming from the same people who are just like, it's questionable at best. I, I mean, right. there, there's just a lot of accounts where, you know, and I think what's forgotten, this is interesting, right, is that when this happened, this was a local beef. It was just like, right. it, it wasn't a world known you know, right. world famous fight. Bruce wasn't right. even on, you know, uh, uh, Green Hornet yet. He wasn't mm. known. So this was a local issue, right? So there was buzz around the Bay about it. Sure. And there were people who were like, Oh yeah, I was there, you know, well, mm -hmm. maybe they were around that day, but were you there? Were you in the room? Now here's right. the problem. How do you walk that back when it becomes a world famous topic? Right. You just thought you were talking, you know, to your buddies yeah, yeah, at a yeah. bar. Now Bruce Lee is a world famous person. And it's like, wait, you were in the room? Tell everyone about what you saw. Remember what you told me when we were having the fried rice and the and the tea? Yeah, thing? I just how do you how do you walk that back? You know, it's not easy to do. And it's just like, well, who knew that Bruce Lee was gonna go on and be a global icon? No, yeah. We just thought he was, he was guy take running over the his entire mouth. game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really powerful, man. That is really powerful. Now, why do you think that Bruce Lee has become such an icon in hip hop? You know, um, for me, you know, my favorite references in this moment are there's a b-boy from LA named Zulu Gremlin. And he, he, there's a picture of him and I wish I, I had it with me, but he's like, it's like a bunch of Shaolin Monk type dudes, but they're all, you know, they're all B-boys, but they're like Shaolin Monks. It's definitely got this like Shaw brothers, you know what I mean? Kung Fu yeah. element to it. Um, you know, I think in hip hop, people forget that when it comes to hip hop and martial arts, the rappers were the last ones. They were the last ones to embody it, right? Because we're talking about hip-hop dance. We're talking about DJing, right? Graffiti, yeah. all this other stuff. Yeah. Everybody else had embraced it first. Rap was the last. But because rap is the biggest platform globally, sure, sure. it gets the most credit. But the other person who really reminds me of the influence of Bruce Lee in hip-hop is Mixmaster Mike, the DJ for the Beastie Boys. Sure, sure. So he had a few things that he did. One of them was on Bomb Records, Revenge of the DJ. Um, it has some Bruce Lee elements in it. And then he has another record, which forgive me, Mike, I can't remember right now, but it has other samples of Bruce Lee in it. Then of course, you know, you have, you know, Stickman from Dead Prez references Bruce Lee a lot. You've got obviously, you know, like we've already said, the Wu-Tang Clan, yeah, sure. we've got, um, man, like all kinds of stuff. And so why do you think that hip hop has embraced him so much? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the first thing I always point out when I talk about Bruce Lee's legacy is I think it's really unique in the fact that it's uh, it, it's it's diverse, it's highly multifaceted. Uh, Bruce's legacy is not a one-trick pony. Is there's so many? I, I mean, I, I we could just go through a laundry mm -hmm. list of ways mm -hmm. that Bruce Lee is uh, is influential, and and I think that's why he stayed remarkably relevant so many years later 
right. compared to so many other, uh, say, of his contempor contemporaries. And when I say that, I don't mean martial artists. I mean cultural icons, right? So, you know, it, like if you look at other, say, uh, <laughs> sorry to give you this example. No, say, no, it's fine. Say James Dean, right? He's right. someone who in, had a dynamic screen presence that embodied the rebelliousness of his era, right? right. That's one aspect of Bruce Lee's legacy, right? right. Bruce had that. And then that's right. like, well, that's one facet. Let's talk about the other 30, right? Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. why if you ask, uh, you know, 115-year-olds today, do you know who J James Dean is? Do you know who Bruce Lee is? They're all going to know Bruce and no one's going to know James Dean because totally. Bruce is relevant to their lives in a variety of capacities. Uh, him being a, a godfather of MMA, uh, mm -hmm. the way he – I, I mean, really, the way he uh, changed representations on screen, right? I, I mean, it is profound. Uh, Bruce's influence on uh, just cinema and the action yeah. movie. Yeah. I, I can go on for you. An article I want to write is, is Bruce's impact on the video game genre, which I think is, is actually pretty significant. So, right? so massive. Yeah, oh no, my I, God. I think there's a lot there. And, and yeah, that's you need just, to do that. And again, uh, you know, his philosophy and the way that resonates with people right now, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the way he impacts people in terms of uh, the, uh, the potential of the individual, right? Here's a five foot eight guy who's 135 pounds and he's known as the most badass fighter in history. Why can't you be that person as well? Bruce Lee did mm, it, you know? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you, we could just talk forever about his legacy. When it comes to hip hop, I mean, first of all, I, I think there's just his, it's funny. It makes me think back to what you asked me about dance. Like just his swagger jibes, yeah. that alone, his presence yeah. Yeah. jibes with hip hop. But then also I think his philosophy jibes with hip hop, right? So I'll, I'll give Absolutely. you an here, here's an example I like to use, right? So if you, if you like, I've heard KRS say, uh, you know, with hip hop, there's an element of innovation. And he, he always points, he's like, uh, I think he says, you know, like Grandmaster Flash, like invented the mixer. Right, 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 right. right. Like he innovated it. Okay. So think, think about, you know, very famous Bruce Lee quote, uh, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless and make it uniquely your own. Mm -hmm. right? So let's mm -hmm. think about Grandmaster Flash. Absorb what is useful, the breakbeat. Yeah. Discard what is useless, the other nine. The rest of the, the rest of the track. Right. We're right here. Your own. Right. Make it uniquely your own. Boom. We have an entire new genre of music that they're innovating. So, you know, I look. I'm not saying Bruce Lee uh, pioneered turntablism, but what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, is but that he influenced that. It. There's no question. It's he influenced applicable it. like that right. when you apply that. It, it just jibes with what everyone is up to. So when they see him saying those things, yeah. they're just like, oh, that's, that's the wavelength we're on. You know, I think the other thing too, and I think this is why, like, it applies to B-boys and DJs and MCs, right? Everybody in hip-hop and graffiti writers, everybody, you know, identifies with them, is this idea of, one, tireless training, mm -hmm. two, yeah. Yeah. originality of style, yep. right? And Very fearlessness good. when it's time to do battle. 
those three uh, things uh, are good. all themes in every element of hip hop. And specifically when Ace Beat Records used to put out the bionic booger breaks and all these other things, they would have these clips from, I don't think they were, any of them were of Bruce, but they were from, you know, like Kung Fu films and things like that. And so people would use them in their battle. You know, they like scratch, yeah, scratch, yeah. scratch, scratch, you know, my style is the best and I challenge yeah. you. Like, that whole thing, man, especially coming from the Bay. Like, I remember, like, uh, the rapper Andre Nicotina, you know, he loves Bruce Lee. He was the first rapper I knew personally that really loved Bruce Lee. And he would be like, man, when I was young, my mom used to take me down to uh, uh, Market Street and I watched the films and da, da, da. And there's all these little clips. Every once in a while on an Andre Nicotina record, you might find, like, some, some nunchucks. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Nice. Or you sure. might find like, you know, sure. the battle with the guards was magnificent. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like he's all he's always got these yeah. little things. And like it's so dope to me. You know, it's so dope to me. I love Bruce's impact on hip hop. I'm grateful for it. Um, and you know, because of Bruce's introduction of a philosophy and a spiritual path that wasn't judaism christianity or islam yeah. he helped blacks and whites all you know what i'm saying absolutely. all over yeah, right and also um largely i'm sure unintentionally probably more shaw brothers stuff than bruce lee stuff but i think a lot of the healthy aspects of like vegan living you know drinking you know things yeah, yeah. that matter like water yeah. and tea and things like that i think there's a long there's a long game of that impact you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that you, that you find from Bruce and it's, it's, it's very powerful, man. Well, um, I, I also think that's why, you know, and I, you, you chronicle this in your book is that hip hop sort of get, comes out the gate at the time that the Kung Fu craze is happening. Yeah, right. So huge. you're looking at these formative years where, where, where everyone's sort of getting their bearings and, and innovating and creating and, you know, who's the guy that's, influential in that era who's the guy you're seeing at the movie theaters you know like like bruce coincides uh his heyday you know when he really blows up it's it's right at that point it's when it's, it's all taking off yeah. so it, it makes sense that he's sort of steeped in the dna of it mm -hmm. right just mm -hmm. in in the sense that you know we embody the influences of our era you yeah. know yeah I, I, it it makes sense that people you know draw back to that dude unbelievable man well thank you for writing this book thank you for being yeah. on bishop chronicles everybody yeah. go cop striking distance you know what i'm saying and 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 soak this in because it is a beautifully informative read it is uh so west coast you know what i'm saying i got you yeah. know what i'm saying west yeah. coast is in the building bro like yeah. period oh hold on before i go this is a crazy thing did you see Jackie Chan's movie, uh, the, the, the Foreigner. You see The Foreigner? No. Okay, so <laughs> so I'm throwing a crazy curve at you, but it's just, no, you know, it's, it, it, this just happened. That's the only reason, yeah. right? So first of all, it's important that I open with, I don't even like Jackie Chan films, okay? okay. It's important to note that. The only Jackie Chan film I actually like are all of the Rush Hours and Super Cop. That's okay. about it. I don't really like his films. Uh, I always kind of found him because I think I really appreciated like the revolutionary aspects of Bruce Lee, right? Yeah. Like I always kind of found him 
kind of, and I know like he was using comedy, but I always felt it was a little step and fetchity, but it's not, I know it's not, but like, because Bruce came in so G'd up, I yeah, just yeah, didn't appreciate it. Yeah, comedy version of it. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, oh, come on, man. Don't do that, bro. You're supposed to be rapping. Yeah. That's how I felt, but that's no, no I hear you. right. So then the foreigner comes out and I'm like, oh, this is going to be sick. Cause I don't even like him. Right. It's about a guy whose daughter gets killed in a bombing. Yeah, I kind of, yeah. Yo, that movie was sick. Okay. That movie was sick. I was laying around and I was like, yo, you need to chill out. Cause I don't watch nothing. That's part of my problem. I, re I really don't yeah. watch much. And I was like, you know, you should watch something. So I'm on Netflix, like whatever, bro, whatever, bro, whatever, bro. And then I was like, Oh, the foreigner. I was like, Oh, I got to dig it. If out. you're going to watch a Jackie Chan film and you're not really a fan, yeah. that's the thing. And oh, I yeah. loved it. And then after it was over, I was like, man, what if that was Bruce? Right. Uh, it's yeah. so good. It's so good. Like that's the kind of writing that Bruce deserved. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, it never I, got. I mean, that's what's so crazy when you think about Bruce. I mean, it, it's great because you feel like he did hit his stride with Enter the Dragon. Like it all came together. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's uh, it's crazy to think what he would you know went on to do. And then you know even even from a, a martial arts point of view, I really think grappling was right around the corner for him it was his, i feel like that was going to be his next obsession and i know you know everyone looks back and and says right. oh well he never did that bruce was just tireless in his research and his analysis and it was inevitable that he would have embraced that i and he didn't lie I, you know to and himself. that's my take he didn't lie to himself and people forget that end of the dragon opens with him using a submission hold yeah I, which which is like not the most cinematic thing, particularly exactly. at that time period. It should have been like a ridiculous jump like, kick. Blow, you know what you I'm know? saying? Yeah, so exactly. yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Real quick, where can people yeah. get a hold of you uh, on IG and stuff like that if people want to follow up with you and learn more? And, and, and yeah, I, I have a uh, I, I have an Instagram account for the book, which uh, is full of uh, photos from his time in the Bay. So a lot of photos of him in Oakland, uh, in San Francisco, yeah. uh, all those old time, you know, all those old guys, Lao Bun and T.Y. Wong. Yeah. Uh, I, I encourage everyone to learn about them too. You know, they've all fallen into obscurity and, and they deserve to have their stories told Absolutely. And, and there's photos of all them. So you could check it out. It's Instagram. I think it's at striking distance. Uh, it's not hard to track down. Yeah. And, you know, the book, the book is here uh, in the Bay Area. Green Apple's been a big supporter of it. Green uh, Apple. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you again for being on Bishop Chronicles. Really uh, appreciate you. Thanks for you having me. A lot of fun. sharing your wisdom and your time. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure I'll have you back on uh, again, you know, uh, uh, next year. You know what I'm saying? Cool. Like, for um, sure. Thank anytime. you. Thank you for making, uh, being on this show. It means a lot to me that you shared your time today. Teacher, what style is that? Listen to the Bishop Chronicles. Bishop Chronicles. You must learn. Right, right, right.